I, my parents primarily, I think, in, began instilling that in me as a child. Uh, you know, we would do things. Uh, you know, I can remember us going uh, to, uh, for for lack of a better word, to the dump. You know, mm -hmm. we would go to the dump, my dad and I, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and we would rummage through what was there. And uh, we'd find old pedal cars, old bicycles, any kind of toy that somebody had thrown away. Well, we would bring those home. And my dad was a fixer. He, he fixed anything and everything. Well, he would refurbish all of those broken toys. Mm -hmm. And next, the next Christmas, those families that didn't have would have whatever it was. Now, my mother was in charge of the food side. She would, she would take care of uh, getting together foods or, or, you know, I would every now and again help, you know, bake cookies or do stuff like that with her, but primarily uh, watching them serve and just try to find families that needed help. I think that's what instilled me as a child. And I haven't veered from that as an adult. Yeah. There's been times I, you know, like everybody else, I don't always have the money to give, but God blessed me with time and he blessed me with two hands. And I may not be able to give you $10, but if you need help with something and I'm able, I go and I help. Listen to the Vibes. Welcome everyone to another episode of Listen to the Vibes. And I'm very privileged to have Mr. Randall Franks here. It's a actor and author and if i can read from your own uh, biography uh you have created opportunities for success in music can you kind of explain that oh of course kyle it's to start off with welcome to my home here in appalachia and we're uh, i'm glad to be with you today uh, you. Th primarily the focus of fo positivity in relation to music to me has been a big part of my life in that several years ago um, at really the urging of my late uh, mother I created a scholarship foundation where we give scholars uh, in Appalachian music um, a scholarship as they go off to college and that can be banjo players fiddle players piano players fit folks who basically continue the traditions of Appalachia and uh, to this point we've helped to uh, I think we're up to 33 scholars at this point uh, over the last uh, basically 15 to 16 years. And it, it, to me, creating those opportunities for these young people who want to share what the traditions of our musical community are is a very big part of, uh, I think, where we should spend our time. But it may not for you, it may not be Appalachian music as it is for me, but there's an area where you can spend your time to encourage others. And mm. I think that's what the key part of creating opportunities are. And what's even greater for these young people, many of them through the years, we've mentored them by connecting them with other professional performers in our industry uh, to help them learn how to be on stage, how to play their instrument, how to uh, present themselves in public. There's various mentor approaches and especially how to deal with the business of being in the music business, if that's what they chose to do. But we've been blessed that many of our young people have went on just to, you know, we've got young doctors, we've got nurses, we've got um, 
engineers. We have a variety of vocations that they've chosen uh, in their life, but they're still continuing to share the music that God gifted them with. And you're a little more into bluegrass and gospel from what I read, right? Yes. Yeah, I I came up in the traditional music of uh, Appalachia in many respects. When I started to learn to play, I wanted to be a piano player. So that was an opportunity for me to um, basically be involved in Southern gospel music. Now, I found that that was not my location. I was not going to be a Hovey Lister of, like of the Statesman Quartet or even Made Lefebvre of the Lefevers. Uh, but I did find my instrument with the uh, violin as a fiddle player because that was who, you know, as I went to family reunions as a kid here in the mountains, I heard my, my great uncle Tom play the fiddle. And, uh, you know, I heard other fiddle players from our region. Georgia is like Texas, I know you're from Texas. There's that mm-hmm. uh, what in that song, an Alabama song. You got to have a fiddle in the band if you play in <laughs> Texas. But George is the same way. We were the center of what was called the fiddle bands, starting in the nineteen early 1900s up until the 1930s. Um, you know, mo- many of the bands which were popular on the old 78 records mm-hmm. emanated from our region. Uh, the Skillet Lickers, you had people like Clayton McMitchin, and you had Low Stokes, and you had uh, Fiddling John Carson. Most of those folks came out of Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, you know, the western part of the Carolinas, and Atlanta was a big place for them to come. And every year we had a... Uh, uh, the world championship is what they called it of fiddlers in, at the municipal auditorium in Atlanta. This was in the early part of the last century. So that's where the record companies would come to record these uh, fiddle players and then put their music out. Uh, of course, a lot of them were um, in those days, I guess you would say they were snooty. You know, they were, they didn't look well upon this, but they figured out, Oh, well, people will actually buy this fiddle playing. So they started putting it out. Um, in, in fact, that very first album, the very first uh, 78 released was Fiddling John Carson, who had won the years. And uh, he, he recorded uh, Little Old Low Cabin in the Lane, the old hen cackle. They only pressed 500 copies. And they sold so fast that they they just started printing more and more 78s of these two things. And it made him an immediate star back in the 1920s when they did that. So wow. it, it's amazing how it's, how fiddle is such a part of our tradition here in Georgia. And I'm blessed uh, to have come up. I, I was Gordon Tanner. I mentioned Gid Tanner, the skillet lickers. Gordon Tanner was one of my early mentors on the fiddle. And uh, he, at the age of 13, played the big fiddle hit down yonder with his father and all the skillet lickers back in the 1930s. So, um, so many others, uh, Cotton Carrier, uh, and many of the fiddle players that are more contemporary in what we consider to be bluegrass music, you know, like um, Byron Burline and Kenny Baker and Bobby Hicks and uh, Red Taylor. And uh, so just the list goes on and on of people who have inspired me or taken the time. Chubby Wise was a great one. I don't know if you're familiar with the tune uh, Orange Blossom Special. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's one of the fiddle anthems. Uh, but Chubby popularized that uh, tune in his career. And 
I was blessed to travel with Chubby and uh, twin fiddle with him. So it was a, I learned a lot about playing the fiddle from Chubby. Wow. You know, I, I spent most of my childhood with I'm my sorry, grandpa. Kyle, you froze up on me. What did you say? I said I spent most of my childhood with my grandparents and my my grandfather just he loved music and so I I was always listening to uh like Hank Williams Sr. and Tennessee Ernie Ford uh, Flats and Scruggs and uh, you know all those greats so I I had a a love for that kind of music and I, I mean, I'll admit I'm not as steeped into uh, the bands like you are, but I, I remember a lot of that music. My my uncle, their great uncle, he uh, he actually had a bluegrass band, and he played bass and he played fiddle. And so I, I used to love to sit down and listen to him play. So I, that's where I got my love for it. I mean, I I love rock and roll and. I love some classical, I love jazz, blues, you know, a lot of music, not so much the modern stuff, but <laughs> but you know, um there there's just something about that music it makes you feel like you're like you're home. If that makes sense. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled, paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. It does, and in many respects, I think it's it's created to uplift. You know, we talk about uh, uh, so even though the even the sad songs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you mentioned Hank Williams Senior, um, and I'm, I'm blessed uh, in my family. Even though uh, as I came into the music industry, um, you know, I I had my great my grandfather's generation played, my parents didn't play, but, um, you know, there were many in our extended family that did play and that did, did go on to, um, be part of what we consider to be country music. Uh, so, uh, you mentioned Hank Williams senior, of course, he's a distant cousin oh, wow. uh, of mine. And, uh, so I have many wonderful memories memories of knowing people now I did obviously because of his death before my birth I didn't know Hank but I've known many of the people that worked with Hank uh, whether it was other artists or musicians through the years and I've gotten to um, got the pleasure to hear some of the stories along the way and the same is true with Flat and Scruggs now I did get the pleasure of playing with the uh, Earl Scruggs and on stage and getting to know him through most of my career. We're both, of course, you see over my shoulder, the man on the wall, that's Bill Monroe, who's yeah. considered to be the the originator of uh, what we call bluegrass music in many respects, uh, the father of bluegrass. And I was part of his band and he mentored me from, from my youth and brought me and my band to the Grand Ole Opry and started my career essentially in country music in many respects. Uh, uh, so 
you know, that connection is, that's how I first met Earl many years ago. I was working with the, with Mr. Monroe. And uh, so there, the Bluegrass Boys, as we are called, are, we're, we're an interesting group of people and uh, we're sort of a club unto ourselves. There are only so many of us that worked with the man through his career and uh, we're blessed to have a very tight-knit group. And of course, I was blessed to know Earl and, uh, uh, you know, Lester uh, also is another person who, who passed away really before I became heavily involved in touring and uh, I, I, I regret that but once again I got to know a lot of the people who worked with Lester and uh, my life was influenced by Flatten Scrubs by Bill Monroe and by the Stanley Brothers and uh, Jim and Jesse uh, and the Virginia Boys mm -hmm. uh, my childhood the Lewis family is another group uh, these are all bluegrass stalwarts when I was growing up there was about 10 or 12 groups that were the active performing groups that were on every bluegrass festival on most of the concerts and those are the people we looked up to that's changed a lot there, the the industry is much larger today and there's a lot more artists out there that you'll hear on radio uh but everybody beckons back to those you know 15 or so groups that uh, kept everything going from the 50s through the 1980s primarily so when you were on stage with Earl, did uh, did you y'all play Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> Actually, we did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, cool. <laughs> uh, it, uh, what was fascinating to me, you know, as a crew, as a child, you know, I mentioned uh, the fascination with the fiddle, but it, it wasn't until I saw uh, Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs on the Beverly Hillbillies mm. and um, the Darlings. Uh, mm. the Dillards performing right. as the darlings on the Andy Griffith show. Uh, I remember as a kid, I don't know, seven or eight years old telling my mother, I want to do what they do. <laughs> and um, she, my dad and mom made that possible, you know, because by the time I was 13, I had my own band and began traveling. And, uh, wow. uh, you know, within just a few years was uh, guest starring on the Opry and, uh, traveling all around the country and then, you know, making that step up into what we consider to be the national music scene or international music scene. Um, but it all really started with that. I want to do what they do. And I told her yeah. all that. I also told um, the members of the Dillards uh, that I knew that uh, they were, uh, of course, I also toured with uh, Doug Dillard of the uh, Darlings. He was the banjo player, and uh, Doug, actually, his band was my band. Uh, you know, I would go out and appear at shows, and, and they appeared behind me. Uh, so that was a great honor and privilege to be associated with Doug. And, of course, he's recorded with me on some of my projects before his passing. Uh, another uh, one like that was Roland White. You may remember if you ever watched the Andy Griffith show on the, there was an episode where this guy comes to town and he's going to record a record, just like I was talking about the record guy coming to Atlanta, but he came and brought his record and he, you know, recorded all these different people. Well, uh, the young band that played with Andy with his songs was Roland White, Clarence White and their band uh, that they had during that era. 
Um, so Roland became was another bluegrass boy, and he and I became friends. But you know, we lost him. I believe it was last year. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I got to express my thanks to him too because he's another inspiration. Curly Fox was also on that episode of Great Fiddle Player from up in Evansville, Tennessee. So. I was greatly inspired by those shows and uh, they sort of gave me something to want to do in life. Cause I, I guess as a kid, I didn't really see where I fit and that gave me a goal. And thankfully God allowed me to reach that goal by letting me wind up on NBC and CBS on in the heat of the night as an actor. And I got to play as a in character uh, performer on network television. And that was that was the day I realized that child would go. So, I, I grew up watching Hee Haw with my grandparents, and they had uh, one of those infomercials where they were trying to sell the DVDs of all the episodes. Yeah. And so I sat and I watched it and reminisced. And, you know, I don't know, being that I'm getting older uh, and I lost my grandparents some years ago um it, it kind of brought a tear to my eye but it made me think you know all these people that i grew up watching that are passing away my grandparents have passed away i, f- I feel that we should like really record and and write books and you know, document all this stuff before it's forgotten yeah i know uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go go finish your thought. Uh, well, I was just thinking, you know, I, I don't know how many of the younger generation would be as interested in it. I mean, my my taste changed as I grew up, but I'm I, I'm so fascinated to hear these stories and you know talk about all these people that you know that you well, played with. I, I love seven that o'clock kind of stuff. on Saturday night was. Seven o'clock on Saturday night, just like you with your grandparents, that's where we were. If mm-hmm. I, you know, especially prior to me going on the road, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were there watching uh, Buck and Roy and all the Hee Haw gang and uh, doing uh, Minnie Pearl and Grandpa Jones and mm-hmm. all these wonderful classic country artists who came up largely. <laughs> There's an old joke. You know, back in those days, we used to say "hee haws" where all everybody retired to. You know, <laughs> because basically you had so many of the cast, you know, that were the stars of the 1940s, 50s, and into mm-hmm. the 60s. And then you, you know, they would have one of the current stars come on and sing. They, you know, a lot of people don't realize that they really only had three songs in the whole hour show. Uh, featuring some star, you know, current star or mm-hmm. a new artist that they decided they wanted to give a leg up to, like Kenny Rogers, you know, mm-hmm. years ago, you know, hee haw, um, you know, Ken, Kenny, uh, and I, you'll have to forgive me, I've forgotten the song, but there was a particular song that he had out and he, they kept trying to get him on hee haw, and hee haw finally relented and they, he did the song and it became a hit as a result of him coming on Hee Haw and singing the song back in the early 70s. Uh, but the uh, Hee Haw was a driving engine for our industry as well as the Grand Ole Opry. Um, and those stars, oh, such wonderful stars. I was blessed uh, when I came to Nashville that the agency which took me on as a music performer represented a lot of those stars 
that were still living. And of course, many of the stars who had passed, folks like String Bean, uh, who yeah. you know, tragically died with his wife Estelle um, mm. back in the early 70s. Uh, it, those are those are people that inspired us. And, um, you know, I, I still, you know, even years later, um, the the death of String Bean was still a, a part of the of Nashville, uh, and uh, uh, all of the people. It was very. It's a the family and country music that I came into was a very tight knit group. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knew each other, no matter what level you were on. Um, we all knew who uh, what was going on in each other's families. You know, back in the early days of my time in Nashville, everybody still had fax machines. We didn't generally have cell phones, but those faxes would fly if something happened around town. You'd get that fax of something going on, and they just flow through every office. And you know, in a matter of an hour or so, everybody knew if something had occurred in one of our lives. That was just the way the news traveled. Uh, yeah, because a lot of the stuff didn't go into the media back then. We didn't have the internet, so everything wasn't immediate. Um, so, but I was blessed to come up and know a lot of these people we're talking about on Hee Roy Clark, Buck Owens, uh, were both very gracious to me in my life. Roy encouraged me. Uh, Buck, uh, anytime I asked for any help with any charity project I was doing, Buck would help. Um as well as many of the stars of the uh, Hee Haw show that you mentioned. I, I've done concerts with Grandpa Jones and with the Hager mm-hmm. twins. And um, you know, Grandpa was a dear friend um, of mine. I always enjoyed being with him. Uh, in fact, one of the last things we talked about doing was doing an album. Uh, he was going to kind of, I wanted to do a particular tribute album and to uh, Fiddling John Carson and I was talking talk Grandpa into playing the banjo on it. And oh, wow. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we didn't ever get to do that project, and so mm-hmm. it never happened. Um, the uh, So he, he, wonderful people, wonderful stories. Uh, I, I did concert with Ramona, which is Grandpa's wife. We did. I remember us going and doing a show somewhere way back in eastern Kentucky, and we, you know, we were the only acts on the show. Was he? Uh, was Ramona and her show, and me uh, with my show, and uh, I believe Bill and Lori Sky were working with me on that show, and they performed too. Uh, but it was a wonderful time in country music, and I guess for those stars of today, it's still a wonderful time. It's just different. Yeah. It's just a different time. But you mentioned talking about the stories. Let me. Uh, that's one of the things that I've tried to do in my life is I've created a series of books and this is a, it's called the encourager series. This is volume one. Mm -hmm. And within this book, I have uh, in the series, I've told those stories. You were talking about uh, how we needed to write them down. Well, Mm -hmm. if there was a person, whether it was in country music or in acting or even just in everyday life, I've taken the time to write the story and put it in these books. Each of the books, uh, you know, there's usually about 50 stories of different people, but then there's hundreds and hundreds of photographs that are scattered through the pages of the books that highlight uh, my career. And in the back, 
a lot of those that were still with us, um, you know, as far as entertainers, I, I even included recipes, uh, favorite recipes of those different entertainers in here because a lot of people, ladies especially, they like to have recipes. And men do too if they've got a lady to cook them for them. Uh, but I've got three different books. There's volume one, volume two, and volume three. And all three books contain all kinds of stories of, of the people we've talked about. And not just country music, but actors, you know, there's stories in, in here about Carol O'Connor, who I worked with on In the Heat of the Night. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite mentors was Roy Rogers. Uh, and, uh, you know, for those who are old enough, he was their every week uh, uh, person that they saw at the film, you mm -hmm. know, as his singing cowboy movies come out. And then as the Roy Rogers was show was popular in the 50s and reruns in the 60s. You know, he was a big part of so many people's lives. Well, yeah. he, even even though he wasn't, I wasn't part of that generation, he still took the time to invest in me as an entertainer. Gene Autry was another one. Wow. Um, you know, I've got uh, Claude Aikens here is in here. If you remember Claude Aikens and his yep. shows from Sheriff Lobo to uh, Moving On and so many different movies. Um, there's uh, Dennis Weaver is right, is in this book. Dennis and his wife, Jerry, were dear prayer partners in my life and great, great uh, friends. Uh, I learned so much by being around Jerry about, uh, you know, what Jerry and uh, Dennis uh, were some of the people that showed me how you treat people, you wow. know, how, how it, they were just class act as was, you know, another one of my favorite ones was Ken Curtis from Gunsmokes. I, mm. I don't know if you, watch Gunsmoke. Yep. Uh, Ken uh, was such a giving man. He was a fan of mine because he he was an entertainer himself. He was a singer, uh, sang with the Sons of Pioneers and some of the big bands back in the day. Uh, but his dad was a fiddle player. And uh, as a result of that, he became a fan of my fiddle play. And uh, so I was very blessed to have one of my childhood heroes be one of my fans uh, in that wow. way. And so he invested uh, a lot of advice and uh, encouragement into me. Um, you know, so those are stories that are within these, within these pages in these books. Um, so in a way I've tried to do what you just said. Um, and there's some wonderful, wonderful tales and some stories. Of course, uh, you know, these are positive books. The reason I wrote them and the reason it's called the encouragers, encouragers one, two and three, you know, each one has a theme. Finding the light is the first one. Uh, the last one is a guiding hand. And the middle one is walking with the masters. So I've tried to create um, a theme of the importance that, that God puts us here mm -hmm. to encourage one another. That's yes. why we're on this earth each and every day. God sends us someone that they want us to invest in, not financially necessarily, but with our time, with our thoughts, with our gifts, if nothing else, with a solid, positive, good word of um, things are going to be better. Yes. You, know, you, 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 you will make it through this. May I pray with you? talking to people every day that you meet that God sends you um, is really why we're here. Uh, now, oftentimes we sort of 
rush through life. We've got things that we want to do every day. Mm-hmm. We've got a list of things to accomplish. And then boom, out of the out of nowhere, somebody pops up you didn't expect to see. Yep. Well, God sent you that person for that for some reason that day, that moment. Take the time to find out what that is and just encourage them. You know, yes. that's why we're here. Uh, and and that's why I wrote this book series. And if folks are interested in learning more about that, they can visit myrandallfranks.com slash store. Uh, and you can get all the books and I'll autograph them for you, uh, along with all my other products and uh, other books and movies and music. Uh, but uh, I think folks would enjoy that if they get a chance to, to many, read through those stories. How many books did you write? Was it nine that I read? Yes, I, I've been blessed to write nine books. Those those three are my Encourager series. Um, this is another book I've got, uh, A Mountain Pearl, which this is inspired by my mother uh, and my grandparents here in Appalachia and their their stories. Many of the stories are stories that you know my mother would tell me like at bedtime, you know, or just in passing, uh, you know, to, get, to entertain a, a young person as a child. But, uh, you know, I, I wrote a lot of the stories down and put it into this form. And of course, this is stories that from the 1930s, 1940s, as well as a few stories up to my childhood that are sort of in the back of the book. So it's, it's a look at Appalachia at a time that we I've almost forgotten. I would say it's it's sort of a mixture of the Waltons and Little House on the Prairie all rolled up into this version. It also has recipes, my mother's and my grandmother's recipes, and uh, it, it's a pleasant story. If you enjoy those books or those those television shows, you'd like that. My for only foray really into fiction was this one. It's a uh, a badge or an old guitar. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, focus on a small town in Georgia and a a police officer who accidentally stumbles and in get into getting a music hit and wind up winds up going to Nashville and gets embroiled into a murder mystery. And so that's mm. what that that is about. Um, and then I've written some books with some other entertainers. This is one I did with Violet Hensley, 105 years old today, or wow. this this in October. She late October she turned 105, but she's a Ozark. Um, fiddler mm-hmm. and fiddle maker who became a star uh, she didn't really hit the folk music scene until she was late 40s 50 years old uh, but you know the last 55 years she's become the really the grand dame of fiddling of the ozarks and through the silver dollar city venue there um, she's no longer going out and performing at 105 but she still goes to shows and she's very uplifting and positive. Violet Hensley, whittling and fiddling my own way. If you want to learn to make a fiddle, her way is in the book. That's really one of the reasons we wanted to do that, because she has a unique way of fiddling. Another one of the um, people that I worked with, and you might find this interesting, is uh, Rambling Doc Tommy Scott. Now, this is his autobiography. If you look at it, it's like a city phone book. There's 700 pages here, and it's chocked full of pictures and stories spanning uh, 90 years in uh, film and television. Tommy Scott 
ran the second longest running show in America next to Barnum and Bailey. It was called the last real old time medicine show. He took it over in 1936. It had been running since 1890 at that point. And um, I had the pleasure of actually touring with Tommy and working with him. And he would come over and work my shows. I'd come work his shows. And he passed away nine years ago. And uh, I'm blessed to continue one of the shows that he started in 1945 is the Hollywood Hillbilly Jamboree. And I just, uh, we celebrated our 77th year this year. So I continued wow. that show, which I started running back in 1990. Uh, but uh, we've had a, you know, his story is an amazing one. Uh, coming up out of the mountains of Georgia and winding up having his own television show in the 40s and um, starring in movies as well and soundies and, um, you know, creating basically a business, uh, a music business that was outside the music business. He kept people working um, outside the music industry skeleton, let's say, or the uh, so Nashville people would leave the Opry to come work with him because his show was so steady and positive. He worked, he kept the show on the road. They entertained six days a week uh, for about 50 weeks a year and did that solidly through it from the 1940s until uh, the 1990s. And then he started pairing his show back, but still entertained until his passing in 2013. Um, you know, you were talking about how, you know, God has us here to help others. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to go into full detail, but I've, I've almost lost my life several times. And uh, I, the, the last one was when I had my heart attack. And I kept, I, I, I see people around me that pass away and I think, why am I still here? And they're gone. And I can't help but think that God put me through what I, he put me through to to help others, which is a, one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Now, I, I don't know what's happened in your life, but what what has been your calling to help others? I, my parents primarily I think in, began instilling that in me as a child. Uh, you know, we would do things. Uh, you know, I can remember us going uh, to, uh, for for lack of a better word, to the dump. You know, mm -hmm. we would go to the dump, my dad and I, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and we would rummage through what was there. And uh, we'd find old pedal cars, old bicycles, any kind of toy that somebody had thrown away. Well, we would bring those home. And my dad was a fixer. He, he fixed anything and everything. Well, he would refurbish all of those broken toys. Mm -hmm. And next the next Christmas, those families that didn't have would have whatever it was. Now, my mother was in charge of the food side. She would she would take care of uh, getting together foods or, or, you know, I would every now and then help, you know, bake cookies or do stuff like that with her. But primarily uh, watching them serve and just try to find families that needed help. I think that's what instilled me as a child. And I haven't veered from that as an adult. Yeah, there's been times I, you know, like everybody else, I don't always have the money to give, but God blessed me with time and he blessed me with two hands. And I may not be able to give you $10, 
But if you need help with something and I'm able, I go and I help. I pick up, uh, you know, I volunteer with all kinds of programs where we're helping people have uh, food or um, even just working around the community, uh, volunteering. Goodness, we had uh, a few years ago, I think God put me in the place that he wanted me more than anything. Uh, I served 12 and a half years as on our city council and our economic development authority here in uh, my small town of Ringgold, Georgia. And, uh, but in 2011, our small town was hit by a huge, uh, what are they, an, essentially an F5 tornado. I think they classified it as just under the F5 as an F4, but it destroyed, we had 600 homes hit. We had over a hundred businesses uh, devastated and uh, God allowed me to serve this community during that time and helping to, he, he said, it was the most amazing thing because this was 2011 and uh, I had, uh, I'd been an actor, you know, I started acting as a youth and I continued acting. Well, in 2001, when my late mother uh, health began to fail and she and my dad through the years were my managers. And so she still managed my career even even up until the point she was passing away mm -hmm. uh, in many respects. She managed the business side of the career. But um, when her health declined in 2001, I, I left the road. I left acting and to take care of her. Um, but, you know, as time passed and she left and God called her home, um, then I had to refocus my energies. Uh, one of the things that I that we had done was uh, I went into journalism during that time because I could I could write and do things and report on things without being away from her. Uh, but once, you know, in 2009, I, I decided to serve in the community. The community had supported me so much during that time, during those years of taking care of her. I, I ran for city council. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, this tornado hits. And in 2011, uh, my, I said all that to say this, my film career that I had left in 2001 had started up again by 2009. I had start, started getting more opportunities to go. But 2011, I, th that was a year where I had actually, I think it was four, four or five films mm -hmm. that came to fruition in that year, in addition to this tornado, God placed me where I was, I was doing a movie. I came back home, the tornado hits, uh, and I start serving in the tornado and then, uh, you know, helping initially the night of the tornado, getting people out of the homes and, uh, making sure people, you know, were safe and, um, you know, then moving on to, you know, the post, you know, after we get through search and rescue, get into the recovery period of, well, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. um, so I wound up coordinating the volunteers who served our town and our county, and as well as working with uh, the government officials from the county and the city representing our community to the world through uh, as PIO, public information officer. So all of that allowed me to to be here to serve and try to uplift, encourage, cheerlead, um, and then create an organization which helped us re rebuild our community. 
especially all those people who didn't have insurance or were underinsured. Mm -hmm. uh, that to me was why I think God put me, other than taking care of my mom, coming back home to do that, I think that's why God put me here at that time, at that point in time, in the position that he allowed me to be in to serve. It set up everything before I could do those things. And then I managed to, despite doing all those things, he separated the schedule out so I could go do a movie, come do this, go do a movie, come back, do something else. Um, if I had, had been working a, quote, regular job, mm -hmm and working a nine to five, I couldn't have, couldn't have done that. Wow. So to, to me that, uh, all of those things sort of fell into place and he blessed me with a lot of, you know, I, uh, a lot of opportunities on the acting side that year. And it, it was just, it was an amazing, um, movie year, but on the, on the home front, it was a tough year. It, it took a, a lot of people coming together. But we talked about making a difference in people's lives or, or mm -hmm. encouraging others. Yes. I have never been more encouraged than when I saw people who had nothing step up to help people who had less than nothing. Yes. And, and uh, you know, to see people who didn't have a house anymore go out to try to help volunteers who were trying to help them. Mm. Uh, that That was such a... Uh, a moving point in my life and those people will always be deeply rooted in my heart uh, and the actions that I saw occur as I, the gifts of giving, the gifts of just all of us interrelating with one another and coming down to the basics. Everybody's got to have a roof over their head. They've got to have food to eat. That's right. They need clothes on their back. Uh, if they don't have the monetary means to get that then we as a community it's our job to try to help kind of make that come to pass I agree. Uh, it doesn't always come uh, government is not the solution and no. that's the one thing i knew being an elected official government's hands are tied in many respects because we're not supposed to do a lot of things as a city government there were things we couldn't do so i had to go out and create an organization to help rebuild our town because the government could not do that. That was not the job government job of the government. It was not the job of the, the, the feds, uh, the FEMA people came in uh, and gave money to certain people who were eligible. Well, it was not their job to rebuild their houses. Uh, somebody had to take up that mantle and make it happen. And thankfully we were able to put together a wonderful team uh, which did that and made our, town whole at least what our new normal was after the change but i'm sorry i didn't mean to get off on. That. oh no 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 i'm 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 enjoying listening to the stories believe me yeah but it it's uh that was just that in itself was you know of all the things i got i've gotten to do uh, in my public service in official public service you know outside of just volunteering and there that that to me, I think, was one of the reasons God allowed me to do that. Well, you know, I've, all these things that have, you know, happened in your life. What personally has happened to you that, you know, may have been a setback or a hurdle that you had to overcome in order to, you know, number one, stay positive, but to be successful? Um, are you talking about professionally or personally? Personally. 
personally. It, personally, it could be professionally if you want. Well, um, you know, when you look at anyone's life, um, you know, there are always things uh, that uh, you look back and say, that, well, I wish I'd done this, or I wish, you know, whether it's uh, relationships or whether it's uh, uh, just what you do from day to day. Uh, you know, personally, setbacks, you know, I'll look back at my life and think, well, it would have been nice. You know, I, I, I would have loved to have found the right girl and got married. That never happened for me. It wasn't in the cards for my, uh, for my life. Uh, at least to this point, you know, I'm not done yet, but, you know, so that's a personal aspect, you know, I, I, uh, now I, I'll say this, I did come mighty close several times and uh, thankfully the girl always came to her sense senses before it was too late, but, uh, <laughs> the, um, but I've been blessed to, uh, meet a lot of wonderful people and do a lot of wonderful things. Uh, as a as an entertainer and as a person, and, um, you know, I can't go back and look at any particular thing in personal life and say, well, um, that was a point that I wish I could, you know, I wish I'd done something different, and that would have drastically changed my life. But I can look back and say, well, maybe it'd been nice if I'd done this. But uh, what does they say? Hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, and, and we can't go back and change things. All we can do is if we've made a mistake, is we go back and try to fix it, make amends if we've uh, in some way impacted somebody else's life in a negative way. Uh, and uh, as far as professionally, though, uh, there are lots of things that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I've spent much of my life as a actor or an entertainer where you know, your managers or you have something is set up and you're going to get to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I can look back and say, well, in, in 1996, I was, um, you know, pretty close to starting a new, uh, a new TV series for Disney. Um, and it, you know, I went all the way up through the ranks and got to, you know, auditions and, got the gig. So at least that's what had come down to me is, and we were going to do this we're going to start in six months and then something changed at Disney and it went away. Um, those kind of things professionally are, are setbacks, you know, but you just, as the old saying goes, you uh, pull up your boots, uh, buy your bootstraps and you, That's right. you say, what's next. That's um, right. And uh, you know, I've had that happen several times, whether it's a movie I've been, I was sitting with Sonny Schroyer you might remember uh, Enos from the Dukes of Hazard. Yep. And Sonny is Sonny is one of my closest friends uh, in in life and in in the film industry. And we were sitting and rehearsing for a movie we were going to start in two or three days. We we're and uh, we're sitting in the apartment going over our lines. I was he was going to play a governor and I'm playing his chief of staff and in this film and. Uh, the word comes down, well, they've canceled the film. Uh, so, you know, so we're there waiting to do, start work uh, to the point that we're working out our, our character's interaction, and then it's gone. And that's one regret I have. I love Sonny so much, and he's a wonderful actor. But Sonny and I have never had the opportunity since then to act together 
or, or in a project together. We've made many public appearances together through the years, and we did act on In the Heat of the Night together, but we've never got to do something like that again. It just fell apart. So I regret those kinds of things, and th but those are things you can't control. Uh, the right. entertainment industry is largely uncontrollable. All you can control is what's in front of you at the time. You know, we create, uh, you know, we create projects, you know, like we've got, you know, I've got a CD called Keep Them Smiling is my most recent. This is a gospel CD with comedy on it. Uh, it's a live performance. Folks might enjoy having that. Keep them smiling. But we control things by creating projects like this. This is something I can keep in control. I can do this. And if you want one, you can go on my website at randallfranks.com slash store and get one. And that's this is a connection between you and me. And it's a way I can control. And you're helping to helping me pay my bills and help other people. So that's a that's how we control things. But a lot of times things are not within our control. We uh, you know, television, film. You know, you're talking about so much money to create a film project, so much money to create yeah. a television show. Uh, you're very much dependent on those people, whether it's Hollywood, New York, or even overseas. I've had requests through the years to travel to, you know, uh, New Zealand or Romania and film a television show. I've never gotten to do it, but at some point in negotiation, they came and said, "Well, will you go to Romania for six months?" Um, yes, if there's a job there, yeah, that'd be fine. Uh, but those, you know, they never happen. Uh, so those are things we can't control. But I spent a lot of my life waiting for things that never happened. So that's the one thing I wish I could fix. I wish all those things happened. That would be nice. But uh, but at the same time, it wasn't God's plan. Well, things happen for a reason. That's always been my philosophy. You know, we we don't know. Even the bad things that happen to us, they happen for a reason. They were, maybe it's a lesson that needs to be learned, or you know, I could come up with a hundred different scenarios, and I've kind of learned not to get so upset when things aren't going my way. You can't help. Sometimes you want to stomp your feet, but what good is it going to do? You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, uh, there are times in life that we're going to, there are going to be people we disagree with. There are going to mm -hmm. be things that we don't like. Um, we're here to try to mitigate those things. I believe God sends us something to take care of, unless he's trying to inspire us to a new level or to do something that we're, we've never done before. Exactly. For instance, like uh, something happens in your local government and you get so angry about it, it might inspire you to run for office. It might inspire you to go to regular meetings and pay attention to what's happening in your local community. I think at this point in time in our life, at this point in time in our country, there is no more important place for us to make our presence known than it is in the, in the um, arenas where people decide about our lives. And that at the local level is your city council, your county commission, your board of education. Those people make decisions every couple of weeks that will impact you, your children, your grandchildren for years to come. Mm -hmm. You need to be present. You need to be sitting in the room hearing what they're talking about. Right. If you're inspired or moved, you might need to run for office. 
you need to be involved in your local community. You need to find the areas where there are needs. Are there kids who go home and are hungry over the weekends because their parents don't have enough uh, to feed them? Well, we had a program that started by a wonderful couple in our community. I was privileged to work with them that we call NCIC. It's Nourishing Children in Katusa. So every week, there are thousands of bags of food that go home quietly through our school systems. The kids go to the office on Friday. They get a bag. They take it home with them over the weekend. So they don't come back into the school on Monday hungry. Wow. There are things that you can do in, in your community. There are people who, are, who need things. Mm -hmm. You may have some homeless issues in your community. Well, I serve on the homeless community, homeless committee in my hometown. We find ways to help people solve the issues which are making them homeless, uh, whether that's uh, whatever that is. And we have ways to mitigate them into somewhere under a roof. Um, we have uh, so many opportunities every, every day in our community. You can look around. There's all kinds of needs. Mm -hmm. Find something that touches your heart. Spend some time on that. We've all got... We've all got family. Yep. Most of us in our generation have parents we've got to care for. Many of us have children. I, I've not been blessed with that uh, opportunity. Uh, but despite all of that, our parents managed to do this. Our grandparents managed to do this. They focused on their community and their family, and they made a difference. Yeah. It's our turn. Yeah. We're it. Nobody's coming to save us. We've got to save ourselves. You know, when you put your focus on other people, it kind of takes your mind off of things that are going on in your life that aren't going so well. Yes, and I think that's that's a way to uplift ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, when we realize that, oh, poor pitiful me is not really uh, as bad as we thought we were mm -hmm. uh, in perspective with what we can see just in our own community, our own county or within our region. Um, you know, it's obvious that there are a lot of people worse off than us. And if we think yeah. about it, you know, I wrote something in a column. I do a syndicated column and people can see that at my website too. Um, each Wednesday, uh, it's called Southern Style. It publishes in papers throughout the South and the Midwest. Uh, but in one of those columns, I recently wrote something to the effect of, uh, you know, we... Each time we get the opportunity uh, to help someone else, to make a difference uh, in someone else's lives, it allows us to uplift our spirit and to get away from the, the, the worries that we have. Yeah, we all have them. Everybody's got this. Uh, Carol O'Connor once told me that the only difference between rich people and poor people are the number of zeros behind the problem. Everybody has the same set of problems. Well, you know, I've, I've told the story lots of times on my show, but, you know, I have a disease in my spine where my bones are deteriorating. I've already had a few surgeries and I'm always going to pain care and that kind of thing. And I could easily just lay back on my couch and, and vegetate, but... That's not me. And 
I felt like this was God's way of giving me my time to do the show to so I could get people on that can inspire others. You can you can always find a positive thing for whatever's going on in your life if you just look for it. I'm not I'm not mad because of this. Okay, so I can't get out and, and run anymore. I can't you know climb trees and jump around. You know? I can't, but I can still do this. And if I bring someone on that clicks with somebody out there and it makes a difference in their life, then I feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. Well, Kyle, I know that you are blessing people through your program. I appreciate you having me on. Oh. Let me be a part of that. Uh, I know we've rambled a lot today and I've rambled, not yourself. I've rambled a lot oh, on a fine. lot of topics. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes it's hard to decide what is the best message to share and oftentimes I just rely on God letting my heart carry me through the stories, carry me through the ideas. I hope something today, for those of you who are tuning in to watch Kyle's program, uh, that there's something that's been said that uplifts you, that blesses you. I encourage you make a difference in your life by helping others, encouraging others. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not a hard lift to encourage someone else. That can simply be a smile when you open a door for them as they go into another store. That's you right. are given the power to change another person's life by your attitude. If you choose to be positive, you make those around you respond with a positive response. So... Kyle, thank you for having me. It's of been course, such a pleasure to be with you. Um, your folks can find me on all kinds of social media. If you uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, True Social, um, Gab, Parlor, uh, YouTube, Randall Franks TV on YouTube, Brideon, uh, you know, anywhere they want to look, they can probably find me. So just look for Randall Franks and uh, follow or subscribe or whatever you want to do. And if folks want to help you with your scholarship, how can they do so? Yes, they can go to uh, Share America Foundation. That's shareamericafoundation.org. And that'll take you to a page that tells you about the scholarship program. Uh, there's two or three pages there. You can look back at some of the scholars that we have helped and learn about their lives, some of the current scholars or past. You can see some videos of some of their performances. Uh, as well as uh, there's another page there that we call gifts and you can look there and you know you might want a dvd or you know we've got several projects um I'm looking to see here if i've got i don't have one laying here it is uh in 2019 we did this project called the americana youth of southern appalachia which uh, featured over 30 youth and uh, this went to number one on the americana charts in 2019 again in 2020, and then again in 2021. So this is a very popular album, and this supports our scholarship program. You can find it there if you go to the shareamerica.org, shareamericafoundation.org page, and you can get this. And it's uh, some wonderful country, bluegrass and folk, uh, and gospel music uh, with a lot of talented young people. One of the neatest things about this, Kyle, was... Mm -hmm. 
uh, every kid on this project, you know, whether they were 10 years old or, you know, it was basically young people from 10 to about 25, no matter their age, they all have a number one record under their belt because of this. And every, every cut or every individual song charted for each of the young people. So I've got, you know, like a 10 year old who had a chart song in the top 40 and a, you know, a 25 year old who had a, uh, I had one 18 year old, uh, yeah, I guess he's 17 or 18 at the time who had a number 11 song in the top 40 off of this album. So, um, that was a that was a neat project that God let me do to bring all those people together. Many of them had never been in the studio before. Many had never worked with other musicians. Um, some of them got to arrange. Some of them got to write. So it was a wonderful project to be a part of. And it, it, th this uh, I've got a piece on here called uh, "What About All These American Flags?" And you can put that in your search engine. And there's a video out there on that. And uh, that's a very patriotic. Uh, recitation, which I did with the kids, um, which uh, is perfect for those who uh, who are patriotic about our military. Wow. What about all these American flags? That's really incredible. Thank you. Uh, I can't thank you enough for spending your time with me today. Um, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Well, thank you, Kyle. And you take care. And I wish all of your listeners and your viewers the very best in all you do. Uh, may God bless and keep you until we meet again. Yes, all of you out there, thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time, I hope you'll come back. Please hit that subscribe button. For all my regulars, I appreciate you because you make it so I can do this. Until the next one, everyone, please take care. Be kind to one another. God bless and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen to the Vibes. You can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network.